Welcome back to the Basketball Coaches Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Newman. Today's episode, we welcome Chris Dorsey as the guest of the roundtable. Coach Dorsey is the head coach of Centenary University in Shreveport, Louisiana. Coach Dorsey, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. Like I said uh, just a moment ago, I really love the content that you're putting out there. Uh, Let me introduce everybody that's at the roundtable with you today. You have Coach Elle Green. She's the head coach of Brooklyn Community Arts and Media in Brooklyn, New York. You have Chris Ballerini, who's the head coach of DeWitt Clinton High School in the Bronx. You have Mark Skelton, who's the head coach of Fannie Lou Hamer in the Bronx, as well as the author of the book, Pounding the Rock, um, Basketball Dreams in Real Life in a Bronx High School. And then you have Mike King. He's the head coach of Community Health High School in Washington Heights. Um, So like I said, I've been really impressed with uh, all the content and the mini chalk talks that you've been uh, putting out. And before we dive into it, you mind just giving us a little bit of... um, like your background, like your coaching philosophy and, you know, your program at uh, Centenary down in uh, Louisiana? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, so I've been coaching uh, the college level since uh, 2008. And um, I actually was on the East Coast before coaching in New Hampshire and in Vermont. And, um, you know, I worked for a great coach by the name of Dave Fosher, who was the head coach at Dartmouth College. I worked for him for five years at Daniel Webster College. And then I went on to the University of Virginia at Wise and coached women's basketball for a year. And then uh, my alma mater opened up in Vermont, uh, Linden State College, and they offered me the the head job there. And um, I I coached there for uh, three seasons. And um, I am now at Centenary College in Louisiana. And I am in my fourth year uh, at Centenary. had a good path, uh, was able to work for a couple of good coaches, but um, unlike a lot of coaches, I, I've, uh, I wasn't an assistant for a long time, you know, but the, 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 my time during an assist, being an assistant, uh, you know, I was given a ton of responsibilities as if I was a head coach. So I think I was prepared for the moment um, when, the, when the opportunity uh, opened up at Linden State and then um, when the centenary job opened up, I thought it would be a great opportunity for me to come out to Louisiana and coach at this prestigious, uh, university. Um, you know, and it's been good so far. We've, uh, I'm in my fourth year. Um, we've played in the conference championship twice in the, in the three seasons that we've had. Uh, we won last year. Um, you know, since I've been here, we have the most conference wins, um, in the, in the SCAC, um, you know, and it's just a good institution. I'm, I'm able to recruit some high academic, high talented, high IQ, great character type of guys. Um, you know, and it's, it's been a great journey thus far. So happy to be here. Yeah, and we're happy to have you at the roundtable. Um, I know a lot of, a lot of what you do um, that you put out, a lot of content about the five out and, and the Princeton. And I know my man, Chris Ballerini here, loves the five out and wants to know more. Um, yeah, Coach. Well, thank you very much for coming, Coach Dorsey. Um, yeah, I'm fascinated by the five out. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was more of a four out, one in 
uh, for a long time. Um, we've had quite a bit of off time. I think you guys can all agree. So with that off time, I've been kind of just tinkering and think, thinking about what will happen once we get back on the court. Um, my question to you is, you know, I've run it at certain situations and I feel at moments with the five out, it just almost becomes, I don't know how to say, it becomes too gummy, it becomes too crowded at moments. So my question is, how do you avoid these single gap issues? Like, how, do you, how are you gonna to try to achieve space within the five out so that it can kind of open up the driving lanes and the opportunities to, to get to the paint, which we all want, right, more than anything else? Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good question, and and, and a big big time concern when you're running um, five out offense. Uh, one one thing that we do often, you know, first we try to open up um, a lot of back cut or handoff opportunities. So we create a ton of we we utilize a ton of concepts within our five out, and our concepts basically create the continuity. Um, so, for example. If someone dribbles at you, you have two options. You could either back cut it or come off or hand off. Um, if the five is out and the five passes to you, he has the option to set a ball screen or, uh, or a slip screen. So it will sprint and, and then slip. Um, and we also, so if a guard passes to another guard, he also has the option to do a brush screen, like a brush and pop or a, a, a buzz cut which we call, it's basically a cut to the corner that opens up a double gap drive. So you, utilizing those three concepts within the five out really opens up driving lanes um, and it keeps the, the continuity and the flow going. Um, and when I think of five out, like it's not necessarily five guys around the perimeter. Like it could be, you know, your post player could be in the dunker spot or in a shallow corner. Um, you know, at the high post and not not on the block or inside the paint. Um, so I, we, we, we consider all of those options as five out. Um, but the the uh, we, we create our continuity and our spacing with those concepts that I just described. So that that keeps us flowing. That opens up driving lanes. And the best way to open up driving lanes is to have shooters. So once we start knocking down some threes, um, it spreads the floor a lot more. You know, so um, shoot, shooters definitely help the five out. And, you know, the guys that can't shoot, we try to put a shooter in the corner, a driver on the wing, um, you know, to open up that, that space uh, to create more options. Thank you. Just, just a, one question off of that is like, you, so you have a couple of rules in there, like three main concepts that you keep going back to. Do you, does everyone know what role they're in? So like, like, for instance, are you, like when you're going in the game, are you a three, you're a five? They, they kind of understand that going into the game and what, what like, because I understand, like, at certain points you might get mixed up, right, where uh, we're in foul trouble, this, this person usually plays the three, but you got to move them to the four. How do you, you kind of overcome those kind of challenges? All right, so essentially, essentially we are positionless. Um, like, we use numbers just to place guys on the court but really they're all the same. The only maybe position that we identify is the five. So that guy knows that when he passes, he's the one that's allowed to ball screen. Um, but the other four positions, 
you know, it's all positionless. When we practice this, there's no, there's no position. So every player needs to understand the concepts. So when every player understands the concepts, there's no confusion. All right. So um, if a guard screens for a guard is not the end of the world, it's just, you know, defenses will probably switch it. Um, so it, it still keeps the flow and it still allows the space. But we, we treat all players as if they're guards, essentially. Um, you know, and it makes our fives happy because they, they want to be guards anyways. Right. So um, it makes them play a little harder because they feel like, OK, now that I'm on a perimeter, you know, coach sees me as a guard and I could do more things. but. Um, you know, really, the, all, all the positions are the same. Um, so there's no confusion. Every player needs to understand uh, the concepts that we have. Much appreciated. Thank you, Coach. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Mark Skelton, Fannie Lou Hamer. Hey, Chris. Uh, so the other, there's two Chris's, right? So Coach Dorsey. Um, so I guess my follow-up to, you know, when looking at offenses is how much do you guys preach and depend on, on offensive analytics? Um, and, and if, and if, you know, what are your favorites and uh, what, do, what would you like to get better at? Yeah. So the, uh, you know, we're just, as far as the analytics side goes, uh, we don't dive deep into that. I wish we could, but we're so understaffed and the resources are extremely low here. Um, you know, we really, we really base our, our, our actions on, you know, shooting percentage and really what the strengths of our players are. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's what we basically base off, base our offense off of. Um, and we, and we spend a lot of time, um, teaching offense that, you know, a lot of coaches ask me, uh, you know, what percentage of practice is spent on, you know, your offensive system, versus defensive system. And I really have to say that it's, you know, it's a hundred percent of the time we're coaching offense, even when we're doing defensive drills. Uh, you know, I have an, a, if I'm focusing on defense, I'll have, you know, an assistant coach that's focusing on spacing and pace and decision-making, um, you know, so every practice for two hours, whether it's a two on O drill or we're playing five on five, we're constantly teaching our concepts, we're constantly teaching spacing and pace. Those are the two most important things to me. Um, and we, and we spend a lot of time focusing on, on, on those, um, you know, two objectives to get it done offensively. Uh, but I will say this, like, this is a different year for us. Like last year we had outstanding offense. We had some very good players. Um, and this year we just don't, you know, yeah. we, we, we create, open shots, we create open driving lanes and, and we still, you know, shoot a very, very low percentage offensively. Um, We've all you know, been so there. Now, yeah, right, right, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, and, 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 and last year we ran less offense, you know, we had better players, so we, we didn't have to run as many sets and, um, you know, we just let our guys play free. So now it's more of a focus on defense, you know, uh, statistically, um, overall defense, we're ranked eighth in the country right now. And that's just a new identity that we have, uh, you know, so, but we still, we still focus on offense and we still try to get better. But the two, our two main, I guess, analytic things that we focus on is, you know, how, how are we creating space for each other and what, what is the pace that we're playing at? Let me ask you a follow-up before I uh, throw it to Mike King here. You know, you're talking about the, the analytics and, and really the, you know, the space and the pace, like, is that how you're 
dictating the success of your offense? Like, is there, you know, Mark was asking about the analytical numbers, but you're, you're talking about the, the space and the pace. So how are you judging the success of your offense in, in that half court set? Right. That, that's exactly what we do. That, that's exactly how we, we um, you know, we, we have a, we'll do a drill in practice where um, you get points for having good spacing, for taking a good shot, um, for making good decisions with the ball, for opening up driving lanes, for playing at a good pace. You know, so we'll do, we'll do a game, for example, we'll do a game to 20, all right? It's a 20-point game, twos and threes if you make it, so you get those points. Plus, you get two points for great spacing. You get another two points for great decision-making, all right? So that's how we really determine, you know, a good offensive possession, all right? So um, our guys understand, like, especially this year when we're not very talented, um, you know, I'm happy if we have good spacing, great pace, we share the basketball and someone gets an open shot. Like that, that, that right there counts as a point in our book this year. So um, that, that's truly our analytics. And it's been that way um, all season. And it was that way last year too, but we were just, we just had better players and we were able to put up more points. Great. Thank you. Coach King, Coach Dorsey's all yours. All right. Thank you. Um, I guess taking a little bit of a pivot here in regards to um, recruiting and where you guys are what what is the basketball culture like in in Shreveport and Louisiana in general being a more traditionally known as a football state is that a problem in regards to recruiting or do you try to use that to your advantage to get better athletes or yeah yeah that's a great that's a great question I mean um recruiting <clears throat> I, I don't know so much about this the state but here at Centenary recruiting is extremely tough because there's only two division threes three uh, colleges in the state of Louisiana. So we're surrounded by, we have two of the best, the top five NAIA schools in the country. Um, and then obviously a bunch of division ones spread out throughout the state. So when we go recruiting a player at our level, um, you know, at, 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 at first glance, when I first got the job, I said, okay, there's only two division threes. We're, we're going to be able to grab up all these division three players in the state. But really, it makes it extremely tough because they don't know about Division Three, right? So the mindset of Division Three is is very bad. Like it's it's like a low. They think it's a low level, um, and everyone wants to go Division One or NAI. So um, in that aspect, it makes it extremely hard. On top of it, sitting there is a very high academic school, and you know we're not that cheap. So it's a, it's a private liberal arts institution. Um, you know, so when you, when you look at us, when I took over the program, <clears throat> we were about sixth or seventh in the league out of 10. And now we've been in the top, um, you know, the, the, the last four years. And the perception is changing slowly within our community. Um, so we're, all, we're, we're breaking barriers right now locally, and, and we're trying to get out throughout the state of Louisiana. Um, but it's not so much that it's a football state. It's more so that our division and the perception of division three is, is that we're not a talented program, which is mm -hmm. false, you know? So um, we, 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 right now, you know, we're still venturing out. So we have to go to Texas. There's a, you know, a division three, every 50 miles in Texas. So it, Texas there, they understand a division three level and, and the model of division three. So we're still able to go, you know, 
around the Arklatex and and uh, get local players. Just you know, we don't have as many as we'd like in the state of Louisiana. That's interesting. Thank you. How how did you end up there from Vermont to Louisiana? Are you originally from there, or was there a connection to Stanley, Louisiana? Yeah, you know, it's it's crazy. The uh, I, I actually was born in New Orleans, um, and I and I was raised in New Orleans, and I moved to Ohio when I was uh, ten. Um, so I have all my all my family is here in Louisiana. And when I saw the job posting, you know, I, I just gave it a shot and I really had not one connection here. Um, I didn't think I was going to get a call for an interview or definitely didn't think I was going to get the job. But I thought it would be a great opportunity to get back into the state of Louisiana. And um, and, and I knew that Centenary um, was a great, great academic school, you know, and it, it just needed some some help in the, in the basketball side, but, uh, it was, it was all luck, man. I didn't, I had no connections, didn't know anyone. The AD took a chance on me and, uh, you know, I've been here for my fourth season. Wow. That's great. And you're doing, you're doing great down there. I see coach green. Hey, thanks again for coming on you. Um, I wear purple because I committed to LSU. Then I decommitted and went to Ohio State um, during Coach Gunner time and Coach Chapman. I still speak to her, so you okay. you, you warm my heart. Um, my question to you is: um, I'm really asking coaches like, what is your biggest flaw, and how have you used this time during quarantine to help you? Yeah, um, that that's a that's a great question. And for the first time in my career last year, I set personal goals for myself like personal coaching goals like I've always set goals for our team but I never sat down and thought about what type of goals I want to set for myself and essentially you know all those goals um, that I set for myself were were basically flaws that I wanted to improve and the biggest one was uh, building relationships with my guys I always I've always had a problem with um getting to know my guys personally and that's affected me as a coach you know it's affected our relationship it's affected their performance on the court and that that that's been my biggest flaw leading up to last year and it's and it's still one of my biggest flaws um but to give a little deeper story about that so last year was i don't i don't know how many coaches would go through this type of adversity that we went through like teams talk about adversity, but this was deep. Like I had a, I had a player that was, and we weren't as close as we should have been, you know, and he, we're a high academic school. And right before Christmas break, um, he, he, uh, he cheated on the tests. He plagiarized on the test and here at Centenary, they don't inform the coaches. So the players, they just, you know, the students have to deal with it. If the, if the student athletes want to tell the coach, then they can. But other than that, there's no way of me finding out. So I finally found out that this player um, cheated on the test and it was his second um, offense and he got expelled from school right before Christmas break. So he went home over Christmas break and, and other things were going bad in his life. And he went home and, and he committed suicide at home. And you know, this was a player, he was a sophomore, he was a start or starting point guard at the time. And, um, you know, after that, after that situation with, with him, you know, it really opened my eyes how important it is to develop relationships with my players. I'm not saying that if we were closer, 
you know, things would have changed in his life. But I just feel like I could have been there for him a little more. Um, and, and us as coaches, you know, we have a, a certain responsibility outside of basketball to, to be a part of these kids' lives. And, you know, last year, that really opened my eyes to that. You know, so I try to do whatever I can possible to build the best relationships with my guys uh, because I never know what's going on outside of basketball. You know, so that that that's still my biggest flaw um, because I focus so much on the X's and O's and how can we get better on the court. You know, I just need to continue to find time to develop those personal relationships with my players, you know, and, I, and I'm definitely getting better at that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think we're, we, we all are starting to realize how to better get our players to do what we want them to do on the court is, you know, we need to get that to know them off the court, you know. Um, Absolutely. I think Mark spoke. Yeah, I think Mark spoke beautifully about it in in his book. Not not to plug it again, um, but he he, re- he really did. I, I want to transition back after that really tough story, and I'm sorry you had to go through that. Um, if I can transition back a little bit, um, I want to know, um, you know, why do you why you believe so strongly in this? Um, like this five out Princeton offense and like, what are your favorite actions out of it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, um, <clears throat> you know, I think that uh, the great thing about five out and, and the Princeton offense is that it creates space. Um, it creates movement. Uh, it, it gives you an opportunity to play at a great pace. And at the end of the day, I feel like that's what basketball is. Um, you know, it's, a lot of coaches, not that it's a bad thing, but they love continuity, right? They want they, they it, it's a perception that continu a continuity offense is easy to learn and easier to teach. But I would have to disagree. Like I, I feel like the easiest, the best way to 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 teach is to teach concepts because you're not teaching your student athletes, you're not teaching your players a set play or specific movements, you're actually teaching them how to play basketball and have an understanding of the game. When you, when you teach a continuity, like a specific continuity, like you have to go here, then you have to do that. Then you have to do this. You're creating robots. But when you teach concepts and you teach the spacing and, and when to move and how to move, then at the end of the day, they're actually learning exactly how to play basketball and they have a better understanding of the game. So that's why I'm a big fan of um, the Princeton concepts, right? So we don't, we don't even run the Princeton offense completely. Like I, I, I love the, like certain concepts within the Princeton's offense because the Princeton offense in itself is almost a continuity, right? So um, I take the concept, concepts out of the Princeton offense, concepts from five out, um, just to and, and create movement. So that's why I really fell in love with, you know, those two offenses because it just teaches, it teaches players how to play basketball and it doesn't create robots. Yeah. I mean, I used to get caught into that continuity and the robot statement that you just said is exactly what some of uh, 
the student athletes would say, you know, it's like, I feel like I'm a robot. And it's like, I guess it was like this mindset that, that they had in them, like when you're saying like, this is the continuity of how we're movement, you know, how we're moving, but you still have freedom to do this, but they still get stuck in the, okay, we need to go from, you know, side one to side two, back to side three. And, you know, so it, it, it's tough. And so I really liked what you, what you're saying, Mark Skelton, yeah. what, you got another question? I guess the, the fun part, uh, Chris, that you have to understand is that um, New York City gyms and most of the coaches on this panel, uh, we, we play in gyms that are probably the size of your, of your office. <laughs> yeah. and, and so, um, and, and, and we all see probably 85% of the time we see zone um, and, and everybody presses in these small gyms. <clears throat> and so, um, and, and so sometimes, you know, you can watch the Utah jazz and fall in love. Um, and I, and I saw some of your sets on Twitter and I absolutely love them, but New York city, especially at our level, the pace is so fast. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think m most coaches on this panel, uh, it's, it's have had a game where they could probably score 130 in a 32 minute game, um, easily. And they probably pulled off the brakes. Um, but you know, so I think, you know, when we look at offensive and look at our space, like, um, you know, if Mr. Ballerini is going to run his five out and he, you know, and he goes to, you know, Mike's gym, it's, it's going to be tough because the spacing is, is not going to be there. Um, so where I think for us, it's, it's always, there's this, uh, you know, what we call it like cognitive cognitive dissonance between like watching basketball and, and coaching our reality. And, um, and I feel like, you know, as coaches, when we look at different levels, we're always thinking about, okay, this, this won't work, but I want it to work <laughs> and I'm going to yeah. make it work. Um, and so, you know, so I just want to ask like, uh, and so in terms of you know, other offenses and are, are you looking at anybody on the NBA these days or, and, and stealing stuff or like, what do you, what do you like these days? What's hot? Yeah. You know, again, it's, uh, I totally agree with you. You know, it's, um, and I think that style, like that New York style of playing fast and pressing, like that's how we play, you know, because I feel like at the end of the day, that's what, that's what kids enjoy. You know, they don't, they don't want to run around for 30 seconds and, and do all these types of cuts and screens and movements and like they want to play and get the, get the ball up. You know, so um, we try to play the same way. And, uh, you know, like uh, if, if you're looking at NBA, like, um, you know, the, the Lakers are really good. You know, they're great in transition. The Milwaukee Bucks are great in transition. Um, you know, I, have, I, haven't, I haven't dove into much of the NBA thus far this season, but the NBA game is it's a fast-paced game, you know, so – um, you know, like we practice with a 24 second shot clock. We don't practice with a with a 30 second shot clock because we want to play faster. We want to we want to play like those NBA guys and, and be up tempo. So um, I think it's I think it's almost an advantage uh, when you're playing in a smaller gym and you're able to play faster. And I almost think it prepares those guys for the college level too. You know, because the style of play that you have to that you have to go up against every day. So. 
um, we're really similar to, to what you're doing over there in New York. And, um, you know, and I wish I was able to recruit out there. You know, I wish I was able to recruit kids. Do, do a lot of those kids leave New York to, to, to go play at other, other universities? Or are they mostly in state? Well, because there's a lot of universities around here. So yeah, right. right. But um, uh, listen, you know, we all want, you know, I like to say that the, the five people on this panel, like the, we're like the guardians of the galaxy. You know, I don't know which one is which, you know, so you can, you know, I think I'm probably Groot. But, you know, um, <laughs> you know, we're all looking out for the best of the kids. So, um, yeah, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll send you game tape. And, you know, if, if, if you need a guard or mostly guards. You know, yeah. <laughs> so. Everybody's everybody's a five, uh, five, ten combo guard nowadays. 100%. That's what yeah. I am. <laughs> <laughs> all right, aren't we all? Oh, you got one. Yeah, Chris, I want to follow up with that question because my next question was, um, what's your rating system for recruits? What are you looking for in when you're recru recruiting kids? Yeah, so we try to get, you know, we try to get the most athletic guys that we can. Um, <clears throat> we really want longer players because we press a lot and uh, we play we play up tempo, you know, so – that's the first thing that we look for is this guy, you know, long, athletic. What is his speed like? What is his change in direction like? And then the second thing we look for is a guy that can shoot the ball, you know, any, regardless of his height or size. If he's a, if he's a high-level, you know, 40% shooter, um, you know, we're going to take him. So those are the first two things that we look at because that's just our style of play. Uh, and then, it, then, you know, we go deeper into what type of character. Right. So it's the it's the length, athleticism, um, it's the ability to shoot. And then what type of what type of kid is it? You know, so those are the three things that we really focus on. That's great. And we'll definitely uh, we'll definitely get that film down to you down there. Do, do you <laughs> are, like how tough would it be for a New York kid to get down to you? You know, it, it, it wouldn't be that tough. The only the only thing is, is that like essentially the best the most ideal student is the one that qualifies for financial aid. Um, you know, so not necessarily like a lower income home, but you know, he does get Pell Grant and uh, is a good student. So good. I mean like a minimum probably 3.0 and a 20 ACT is like the ideal minimum for us. So if there's a kid that, that has that has a, you know, a, a low EFC that will get Pell Grant is a good student. We could probably get him in here for a fairly low price. In regards to recruiting, um, do you do most of yours? Because I'm assuming you probably don't have much for full time assistance. Do you do most of yours in season watching high school games or is it in the off season AAU or highlight tapes or what's like your main kind of thrust for recruiting? Yeah, so I kind of, um, you know, throughout the season, recruit mostly online, like with highlight highlight films and and locally. Um, I just hired a, a a great a great recruiting coordinator. He do, he doesn't even live here. He lives in Massachusetts. Um, Coach Persia, he does all of our online recruiting, um, and that and and I feel like that's where. I mean, the online recruiting is almost better than going to a game. You know, you could see so many kids in, a, in a, just in a night. Um, 
and everybody looks good in the highlight tape. But uh, I think that's our best route of recruiting right now is getting those highlight films and um, and then following up from there. But I do a lot of, you know, once the season's over, I'm on the road. We don't have any dead periods in Division Three, so we can recruit year-round, you know, so that, that makes it um, a lot easier to recruit. So, yeah, I have to ask this because it's something I'm just fascinated by. What what are you looking for in a highlight tape when obviously they make every shot? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good question. The first, the very first thing we look at is like the level. So you can tell if it's a low level school or not um, by the not necessarily by the gym, but by like the size of the players, how fast the the game is going. You know, so we try to look at the level first. Um, and then you can always tell if a guy can shoot or not. Like if he has four, you know, four made three-point shots and the shot looks kind of funky in the film, you, are, you know that he can't shoot. Um, but we're really looking for like, uh, you know, no free throws. You know, you don't have to put free throws on there. But, you know, make a couple jump shots, you know, get to the rim. Um, what a lot of kids are missing is some defensive highlights, like blocking shots, getting steals. You know, if you can play full court on the ball. Um, that's what you don't see a lot of, which I wish was on more highlight films, you know, the defensive possessions. Um, but it, it's you can you can you can get a feel for players, but obviously they make 100 percent of their shots in the film. So um, it can get tough every now and again. I, I think we're all curious about like uh, what some of these kids are thinking about when they're throwing together their their highlight reel. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, I want to hit you with uh, one last question before before I you know I let you go and I appreciate your time that you've given us. Um, you, you were talking about um, you're practicing with a 24 second shot clock. Now I, I want to know: um, Do you have a shot clock like breakdown for actions to to run during during your game? Like, are you first eight seconds is primary break, and then you're flowing, and then under seven is you know, a, typically like a ball screen or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly what we do. We um we 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 really want to score within the first eight seconds in transition. Um, <clears throat> and if we can't score in the first eight seconds, and that second, you know, up to that sixteen second mark is really when we 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 create our movement and our flow in transition. Um, and then the the, the third section you know, of those, of those 24 seconds is we open up the floor and we don't really go to a ball screen. We really try to drive and kick and almost get to a dribble drive action. We actually don't ball screen often because every team works on defending ball screens, right? So offensively, what we try to do is we try to do things that teams don't practice often, you know, so we try to get to a ton of staggered away screens. We try to get to, um, you know, a lot of handoffs, turning the corner for, you know, to a driving kick. Um, you know, we slip a lot of screens. We do a lot of brush screens. Um, we, we let our fives go one-on-one -on -one from the high post because, you know, post players don't really work on defending the ball off the dribble. So um, when it comes down to that, that last section of the 24 seconds, we really try to open up the floor, create driving lanes, maybe even get the ball to our five and have him go one-on-one. -on -one. Um, like the ball screen is really like the last resort for us because teams are great at defending the ball screen. So are, are that, that last third of the shot clock, you're just looking, are you looking just for the mismatch? Or are you looking for your point guard to create? 
Um, yeah, yeah. So, so it, it, I think it, it changes. Uh, it's it's changed. Like last year, we were able to give the ball to our five man, open up the floor, and have his take and have him take his guy one on one. This year, um, we don't really have that one on one player, so we try to get the ball into our best ball handler's hands. A lot of the time, that's our point guard. You know, so we'll get the ball to him. We'll go if the shot clock is down, you know, under ten. Um, we just call it spread. So we'll get our two best shooters in the far far corner, like their foot is basically on the baseline. Um, you know, then we get our our, our wings, NBA line extended. Um, you know, foul line extended to the three point line. Uh, and then our, it's our guard's discretion if he wants a ball screen or not. So if he wants a ball screen. He'll just give a signal, a thumbs up signal, um, and then our five will sprint out for a ball screen. But a lot of the time, um, it's just opening up the floor, driving and kicking, and, and trying to get a three, an open three with when that clock is down. Yeah, that that's great. That's great. Thank you, and uh, Coach Chris Dorsey. Thank you so much for your time today, man. This was an awesome conversation. Um, definitely. Uh, having some insight from from down south, what you guys are doing down there. Well, hopefully, we can bring some of that knowledge up here to New York City. Really appreciate. Yeah, man. It. I thank I thank all you coaches for having me on. It was it was a great conversation. I love just talking. You know, most of the time I'm on this and I'm ha I'm having to draw plays and and do all other types of things. But uh, it's great just to have a conversation and talk hoops for once. So I really appreciate you guys having me on. And hopefully, I can get some of your players up here in the up in the sunny state. Louisiana. It'd be It'd great. Be, yeah. You get better weather than we do. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Basketball Coaches Roundtable Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at BCRPodcast11.